You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is a special edition of the Weekly Briefing for the week of August 1st. Today is a big day at EE Times as we welcome Brett Brune, our new editor-in-chief. Brett comes to us with an impressive background in media that includes both editing and writing roles at The New York Times, USA Today, and The LA Times, among other publications. He's covered everything from finance to entertainment, but he's also developed a particular interest and expertise in some of our favorite topics, including microchips, power, and manufacturing. He's with us today so we can get to know him a bit and talk about what the future holds for EE Times. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Eric. Thank you. And where are you joining us from today? Sure, I'm in Palm Springs, California, where it's a bit hot, but very tolerable this summer. That is a lovely corner of the world. Uh, you from there originally? No, no. I grew up in Iowa, but I moved here a couple of years ago with my partner. And it's a fantastic place to live with year-round hiking. So you'll find me on mountain most weekends. So growing up in Iowa, you're obviously living in one of the media capitals of the world, if not the media capital of the world uh, in Southern <laughs> California today. Growing up in Iowa... How and when did you know that journalism was what you wanted to do with your life? I might have had an idea about that in the sixth grade when I had a quote-unquote radio show, albeit on the school intercom. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of fun. And I also started a newspaper in junior high and then edited my high school and college papers. But I cut my teeth in journalism, interning for a couple of years at the Des Moines Register during college and also studied a couple of times outside of the country in Portugal and in Austria. I'd love to to hear more about your early years in journalism. Let's go back to your Washington Post days. I know that one of the topics that you covered for the Washington Post was real estate. Can you talk us through some of the stories that, that you covered there? I guess the most prominent story people remember is one that I wrote about the U.S. Home Corporation stealing land that belonged to retirement home residents. And that story had a really great impact. The real estate developer gave most of the land, plus 30 grand that it earned from the sale of one of the parcels back to the residents. And that article was part of the reason that USA Today hired me. That must be so satisfying to have such an immediate and tangible impact from your writing and your investigations, really, in in that case. Does that inform us anything about your approach to journalism today? Yes, definitely. As you might guess, I'm extremely devoted to shoe leather reporting. And what that means is to get out in the world and actually have face-to-face interviews. That's really important. And... I would hope that my former colleagues consider me a reporter's reporter who happens to also love editing. Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm driven by natural curiosity. I'm all ears at cocktail parties and dinners, and I often entertain myself by attending lectures at universities. And at the same time, I'm really committed to serving readers, and that's by giving them accurate, precise, concise, and timely news. And for me, editing is a a joy. And it's essential that EE Times writers have that same natural, insatiable curiosity built in. 
because that's really what drives us to ask the important questions that lead to actionable content. And at EE Times, my reporters and I are determined to serve up that kind of content that can actually catalyze issues, institutions, and even industries. I love the way you describe that the need for that insatiable curiosity as you were describing your your approach. I just have this vision of you soaking in everything around you at these university lectures and cocktail parties. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the other big stories that you covered later on in your career. Let's go back to Europe and and talk about some of the work that you did on the ground for for later publications that you worked for. Sure. So, you know, big stories can happen in different ways. And that's, of course, the kind of things people want to hear about. When you um, talk about Europe, the first story that comes to mind is a piece I reported out of this tiny little town called Ilmenau, Germany. I was there for a smart manufacturing magazine. And I was the founding editor of that magazine. I was writing about automation. And this uh, particular story was really inspiring about this huge impact that this very small firm called Metrolabs was having on many levels. I'd say on the micro level, that story laid out how chipmaker Infineon was using for several years a mobile robot from Metrolabs. And it managed to shrink the number of minutes it takes to collect the clean room data needed to measure the presence of rare gases in the air to 10 from 300. And then on a macro level, the Fraunhofer Institute was preparing to put Metrolabs robots on display because this young firm that Johannes Trebert started with some high school friends in 2001 had by 2018 already helped modernize manufacturing in not just Germany, but also the Czech Republic and France, Great Britain and Singapore and the U.S. Wow. I'd love to hear more about other stories that you've reported for as the founding editor of Smart Manufacturing Magazine. There's so much crossover between what we talk about on EE Times and the things that you covered in that publication. Could Mm -hmm. you talk a little more about that? So, yes, another story I reported in May of last year at Smart Manufacturing Magazine chronicled three big shifts in the manufacturing of microchips. These advances are really needed for AI and machine learning computing power, and EE Times readers will certainly be reading more about those shifts. Can you break down what those three big shifts are? One is integrating lasers onto photonic integrated circuits, mm-hmm. or PICs. Another is using silicon to make PICs. And the third shift is co-packaging optics with electronics. Those are most definitely things our listeners and readers are going to be interested in. And we all look forward to hearing more about that. Can we shift gears and come back to the U.S. now and talk about your days at the Houston Chronicle? Absolutely. That was a great time. I covered the business of healthcare there. And Mm. the most groundbreaking story I wrote there would be leading U.S. coverage of the business of proteomics. And again, my natural curiosity had years earlier taken me to a lecture about proteomics at Columbia University in New York. And proteomics is really important because it's similar to genomics. If you know someone's complete protein structure, 
you can give them the right drug, the right dosage, and at the right intervals. Certainly the future of medicine, as most people in the know see it. Let's talk about some of the other big stories that you've covered in other publications. Okay, sure. I guess big in one sense can mean when you beat the competition, right? So, no doubt in this business. <laughs> yes. So at USA Today, I led coverage of a landmark change in the substitute skin business. And I also led national coverage of gigantic changes in the production and finances of broadcast news. And the New York Times followed both of these stories months later. And then after I was recruited to the New York Times, I broke the story of the joining of Columbia HCA Healthcare and Health Trust. With that piece, I beat the Wall Street Journal. And later, on the first day that we published Smart Grid Today, back in 2009, I broke news about who the Obama administration chose to write the Smart Grid Roadmap for the nation. And again, I would say that my natural curiosity helped me be the first reporter to dig up and publish these stories. And what a thrill it is to be able to break stories that big that, that were then, of course, went on to become dinner table discussions throughout the country. I know that one of your areas of particular interest is power distribution, and mm -hmm. you served for years as the editor-in-chief of SmartGridToday.com, and despite that name, you covered much more than just smart grid topics there. What are some of the subjects that you're looking forward to diving into for our audience that you first encountered there? Yes, there are so many crossover points here. And those include things like power storage, battery electric vehicles, cybersecurity, power distribution, of course, embedded security, green energy, which EE Times is focusing on now, IoT devices, regulators, RFID, smart cities, wind farms, and Zigbee. Oh, the man, list just yeah. goes. <laughs> it does. On and on. Yeah, it never ends. Yeah. It does. And these are all such exciting topics at this moment in history to be covering. I'm so excited that we're going to be getting your perspective on these things as we cover all of these topics. You also served a long tenure as editor-in-chief of Smart Manufacturing Magazine. So can I ask you the same question about that experience? What news from the smart manufacturing arena are you most excited about bringing us? Certainly. I know we already talked about automation with regard to the uh, Metrolabs story mm -hmm. out of Germany. Another really fascinating crossover topic is carbon nanotubes. I wrote about what I described as the global yarns race <laughs> <laughs> back in 2016. And right, it's technology going into fibers and fabrics. The U.S. Department of Defense had formed a manufacturing innovation institute called Advanced Functional Fabrics of America or a FOA, to compete against Germany, Italy, Japan, and South Korea. And at the time, the smart fabrics market was worth $2 billion. And a FOA is one of 16 Manufacturing USA Innovation Institutes. We'll be following the work of its members and how it will impact aerospace, defense, and medical products, at least. 
And EE Times will also keep a close eye on what's happening at Innovation Institutes called NextFlex and Power America. NextFlex content will chronicle the advances in flexible hybrid electronics. And while Aspencore recently published a 145-page guide to silicon carbide or SIC chips, there will be more to write about that for sure as Power America leads the charge in the U.S. Definitely eager to hear more about both of those topics, particularly the carbon nanotubes is such a fascinating arena when we start talking about aerospace and space applications mm -hmm. for that technology. You've worked for the biggest names in U.S. media, but you've always covered international stories as well as domestic ones in those roles. And, of course, our coverage and our audience are very much global. Are there particular stories outside the U.S. you're looking forward to bringing our readers and listeners? Yes, definitely, Eric. AE Times will also closely track what's happening inside innovation institutes abroad, starting with Germany's Fraunhofer Institute. You recall the Metrolabs story that we discussed. The EE Times audience is thirsty for content like this, which is fresh from the world's tech innovation labs. So we will work tirelessly to slake that thirst. We're motivated in part by the understanding that there is no industry more central to people's daily lives than electronics engineering. Brett, I know today is your first official day on the job, but you've been paying attention to us for quite some time here, and I know you've got some thoughts about what makes for truly great content on EE Times. Can you tell us more about that? We need to continue to provide actionable content for design engineers, not just C-suite executives. And uh, EE Times readers have enjoyed very deep dives on topics of great importance, so that will certainly continue. I'd like to work a bit harder to make more of the content more human, more multidimensional, more connected to readers' needs, and more focused on specific application areas. I am also a big believer in showing rather than telling, so we'll work even harder to provide compelling anecdotes. The importance of storytelling cannot be overstated, so we will continuously be eliciting anecdotes from EE Times sources. We will, of course, focus on problem solving and the people and the tech that can help do it, but we'll also work to discover tech advances that will present problems that haven't even been imagined yet and the opportunities that come along with them. As our readers know, we're always doing our best to be the first to unearth news concerning what life will be like in 2027, and then 2028, and 29, and 30. And lastly, the audience can expect timely, iterative coverage of developing stories to keep them up to date. And they can expect us to follow up. It's so exciting to hear you talk about the way we can continue to follow stories as they develop, because I think that's something that's so missing in the short attention span theater that that most mm -hmm. media has become these days and Correct. as i listen to you describe the scope of the issues you want to cover and the depth with which you want to cover them it sounds in a word it sounds breathless is volume mm -hmm. your goal it's a great question you know high volume is certainly a goal but not at the expense of readability and i'm glad you mentioned 
the word breathless. It's really important that we avoid breathless coverage because it doesn't serve readers and listeners. And on, on the flip side of that, we'll shoot for calm, carefully considered articles that are easy to read. When I was on the investigative reports editing team at the Los Angeles Times, one of the last steps in the editing process was for me to sit down with John Carroll, who at the time was the editor-in-chief in 2003, 2004, and to actually read aloud the page one stories that were about to stir controversy. And again, EE Times must focus intently on readability. No matter how valuable the information is in a new story, it needs to be consumable for it to have any impact. So we'll spend the time it takes to deliver digestible reports. I love the idea of having the stories read aloud, even if their destination isn't an audio medium. I certainly look forward to to more crossover here between the written articles and what we'll be able to present on this and other podcasts. EE Times is celebrating this year its 50th year of publishing. Between that and all of the incredibly fast-moving developments that are affecting the industry right now, do you see this as I do? Like, it, it's a pretty heady time to be taking over this job, yeah? It definitely is, Eric. Electronics touch our lives throughout our days and our nights. You know, it used to be with touches of buttons. Now it's with swipes and voice commands and sensors. And it's getting more subtle by the day, but the technology behind all of it and the people who invent that technology and give it life will be shown in AE Times to be anything but subtle. The tech has been and will continue to be revolutionary, and those people are visionaries. Another recent guest of yours, Doug Bailey from Power Integrations, made an important point that I would like to double down on here today. And that is that this generation of engineers will set the tone for our civilization. They have, he said, the opportunity to make a spectacular difference. There is so much good that power engineers have done chronicled over the last 50 years here in EE Times, and there's so much more to come. I feel very privileged and honored to lead the editorial team at EE Times going forward. Heady stuff indeed, I would say. Well, we are equally privileged and honored to have you with us. Your background and credentials are just absolutely incredibly impressive and we are so much looking forward to seeing where you bring us going into the future thank you so much again for joining us today you're very welcome and i'm very happy to be working with you as well that brings this special episode of the weekly briefing to its end thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed meeting ee times new editor-in-chief brett brune and brett isn't the only new arrival we want to tell you about this week EE Times just released the 22nd edition of the EE Times Silicon 100, which explores the nonlinear relationship between capital investment and technological innovation, and examines the changing dynamics and trends in the global startup ecosystem. This year's edition features startups in areas such as materials, packaging, quantum computing, and security. The book Silicon 100 Startups to Follow in 2022 can be downloaded to your favorite digital device. 
Visit the EE Times store at eetimes.com slash shop and enter podcast in the coupon code field for a 15% discount. The weekly briefing is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll also find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned along with other great resources. The weekly briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. The segment producer is Katie Huss. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.